Hey, this is Arthur Adams, and you are listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have Batman, the Night of Vengeance with CBS. Because I'm always angry, and it's always at night. We also have the shadow of the bat with Rob. Hi. When when bats fly at, at night, they make shadows. Sometimes with streetlights. Sometimes during the day. Day bat flying, that's what that's called. <laughs> I always say only they make shadows and they block the sun. That's true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Man, welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Today we're doing episode number 103. Doll, yeah. Today we're going to be going over uh, Imaginary Fiends, number one. Uh, it's from Vertigo Comics. And then we'll be going over Tommy X-Men, number six, from uh, Marvel Comics. And then we'll be doing The Sleepless, or just Sleepless, from Image Comics. This is issue number one as well. And then uh, we'll be finishing up with Iron Fist, uh, number 75, also from Marvel Comics. And then the actual last book, which makes sense if you say it last, Doomsday Clock, number one. Somewhere in there I get confused about the end of things. Well, Doomsday Clock, it kind of spells the end, right? I'm going to go with yes. Okay. Silly that nonsense. Makes, that makes sense. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Today, Rob, do we have any? Uh, do we have any news today, Rob? Any news? News and comic books. Uh, there's a bunch of announcements, movie-wise, the things coming out maybe in 2020, but 2020 is a whole full two, just over two years away. That's a long time. As of recording today, so eh, seems silly. Mostly DC stuff. Talking about Suicide Squad two and this Harley Joker movie, Joker origin movie. Uh, Apparently, Martin Scorsese is connected to that one, and they're saying that they're trying to pers- pursue the idea of Leonardo DiCaprio, Di- Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio. Excuse me, right? For the part of the Joker, mostly because Scorsese, I think, loves Caprio. I said it right the second time just now. No, Caprio. I say I like. Don't get me wrong; the dude's good in The Departed and like five other movies. You know, like that for that early one when it was uh, Gilbert Grapes. He's great in there because he plays himself, handicapped. Then everything else in the middle is like I don't know, crapshoot. You did that one with the bear. I think that was the part of it. Wasn't it? No, no, the, the part is the one with Marky Mark and the guns and there were cops and robbers. Yeah, that's and right. That movie's freaking great. And he's got that one where he gets drugged across the winter terrain by a bear and then crawls himself to wherever. Sort of based on a true story. I know we've talked about it before in this movie, but now I can't remember what it's called. I don't. I know it was. It was pretty highly acclaimed, but I, I didn't see it. So. He won an award simply because he hadn't won an award before. Did he actually win? Yes. Oh, okay. Best actor laying on his belly in the mud. Okay. Good job. Good, good job. That bear was way better than you, bud. Anyway, there, there's game news, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, would they just wrap the um, the 2017 video game awards? And although I don't have all of the the winners and losers for that, I do have that, uh, if you watch it, they, they do make a lot of fun of microtransactions. And they also had a whole thing where uh, Konami didn't let uh, Kojima actually be there at the ceremonies for his Phantom, um, for the Metal Gear Solid Phantom Pain game. But they did premiere Death Stranding. And that is probably the weirdest game trailer ever. So, yeah, Norman Reedus in a video game. I have no idea what the hell's going on with it. I assume he's being Norman Reedus. Yeah, if you see it, when you see it, you'll be like, WTF. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't even know what... A lot of times, you know, you see a game trailer, you can kind of go, this is what I'm going to be doing in the game. No idea. So, it's pretty crazy, though. Very interesting. Uh, as as we continue on, let loot box craziness with Battlefield for Star Wars. It sounds like they may be implementing removing the Battlefield uh, loot boxes entirely. 
as more and more states are going with the idea that they might make it 21 and older to purchase loot boxes because of the gambling mechanic. So that's crazy. Uh, if you're a Destiny 2 player, you can look forward to the new DLC that just came out. But if you didn't buy it, they raised the level cap for the base game. And so now you can't actually complete the game unless you buy the DLC. That's ridiculous. So... Yeah, there's there's a lot of like shenanigans going on, and there's like a, there's a couple open jobs right now where people are looking for ways to get new new people to work on how loot box mechanic um, grinding can work in their games. So like they're not even hiding it right now, and it's becoming such like a big viral marketing thing to to fight back against it. It's it's a uh, I don't know, the games world is kind of in a mess for for the moment, but. Death Stranding. Take a look at the video. It's craziness. Alright, that's interesting. Yeah. Crazy nonsense. Yeah. You get done with it and you just go, what? <laughs> that's, what did I just see? That is pretty awesome. Well, yeah, I can't think of anything, like, news-wise, it's comic book, I mean, super recent. Sadly, sadly, we didn't, we didn't get a hold of Ross and the Dog Pound, so we have no good news this week. Yeah, I take that, Dog Pile. All right, so I guess we can move into books. Yes. Doc Pile, not the pound. Not the pound. The pound's where they go to get put down. Oh. Piles where they, like, make a mess. I thought that was where the football team came from, was, was the dog pound. Uh, maybe. So isn't it the Browns? Uh, yeah, okay. The Browns and the dog pound. And they make a dog pile because they pound on the guy? The runner? Or it whoever? It could happen, yes. I'm going to say yes. That's enough talk about the dogs. Okay. And Enough. Silly nonsense. Oh, um, well, I, we, I'm sure we mentioned this a lot, the last couple of shows, but, uh, they started airing Happy on Sci-Fi. So, uh, that thing is, uh, I'm not sure what day or when it's running, but they announced the first episode aired. So, I imagine you could probably see it on their website, I guess. I don't know that for sure, but that's what I would imagine. And we're getting ready to have the season finales for Arrow and Flash and Legends. Um, they just, Recently capped off the crossover. The uh, crossover was called Crisis on Earth X. I thought it was awesome. There is some pieces in it that are, of course, weird. And it's hard to say, like, if it's all just Guggenheim's nonsense or if it's what exactly is going on with the pieces that are odd. I mean, we get a couple of new character introductions. We get another character sort of returned. Uh, we get a major death. And then a, there's a couple weddings, so... It's almost like that song, Two Weddings and a Funeral. No. Is that actually a song? I think it's a movie, actually. Oh, okay. Whatever. All right. Uh, well, let's go and start on books, I guess. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> we're open up with the uh, Imaginary Fiends. Uh, again, this is uh, from uh, Vertigo Comics. Uh, this is issue number one. Uh, it's written by Tim Seeley. So you know him from Hackslash and Revival and Nightwing and so back to the G.I. Joe stuff from Devil's Do. I don't know why I mentioned that last. It's the least notable of the group. Well, well Tim Seeley's got a pretty good reputation. Though. Yeah, that's true. The artist of it is uh, Stephen Molnar. And I, I don't recognize that name, but the art's pretty good. So yeah. I'm happy with it. Uh, so basically, the setup concept we got going on here is the play out of how imaginary friends really work. And like, the beginning of the series, we start out with a batch of kids all hanging out in the like an open field and they're we got one kid who rides up on his bike. This is Cameron. It's his inner monologue playing and talking about how he's not really old enough to be with the big kids and he's not young enough to hang out with his little sister and the younger kids and he's just trying to figure out where he fits and get ready to go into high school and while he's hanging out with the older kids also we start hearing, uh, his sister call him and, uh, one of the girls, one of the older girls is like, oh, are you babysitting tonight? And of course, you know, his first initial response is, oh, she's hanging out with her stupid rich friend. Like, no, I'm not supposed to be, you know, whatever. I don't care what my parents want, you know, trying to be a cool kid. And then uh, about that time, we see you running from the woods, uh, a little blonde girl, who is the sister. And uh, as she gets closer, you can see that her body, like, she's not walking correctly. And uh, she gets a little bit closer, and you realize she's covered in blood. And so he runs over there to try to help her. And there's a little more inner monologue. We're setting up that he's kind of a little broken, too, because when he first starts running over... He's like, I hope the cool kids think that, you know, this makes me a hero and, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, we get over there and he winds up catching his little sister who's just covered in blood. And she uh, reaches out for him, puts her hand on his face and winds up leaving a blood splatter. 
in the shape of a hand, and uh, she whispers one word, and it's Polly Peach Pit. Well, I guess one name. Yeah. And then uh, we cut directly from there to uh, six years later, and we meet a different batch of girls, and they're all pretty ruthlessly taunting and teasing one other girl, and we realize that they're where they're at is like a detention center, uh, like a home for troubled kids type. And uh, they're picking on one particular kid, and this kid uh, we want to find out is it's it's her birthday, and the other children, uh, the other girls, are taunting her like pretty viciously. Um, she returns to her room, and we're greeted by like a nurse or a staffer of some type that works at the building, and uh, we want to find out her name is Melba, uh, Melba Lee, L I is the last name. And it's Melba's birthday, and this is the only person that seems to have been nice to her at all at this at the facility. And what we learn a little bit about her is that she's very disconnected from anyone and doesn't let people touch her and doesn't doesn't get along with people, keeps herself very secluded. Well, the lady informs her she has a visitor, and so she gets super excited and goes to meet this visitor. And it turns out this visitor is not anybody she expected. Uh, it's a man in a suit who informs her he's from the FBI and then uh, starts asking her questions about how she first got put into the home. And he tells her, well, this might not be what you're expecting, but I may not believe you, may be believe what you said to the police about the stabbing. Which leaves us with a weird question. And he hands her this video tablet, and he tells her that he wants her to watch this video. They're pretty sure it aired on America's Funniest Videos, but she's not looking for the weird kid dripping ice cream all over herself. He wants her to watch behind that, and about around the 30-second mark, and tell him what she sees. And so she starts playing the video reluctantly, like, what's this weird dude doing here? Like, what the hell is this about? And we get to the point in the video where she's supposed to stop, and uh, he asks her what she sees. What we see is the same thing she sees. She sees this crazy, like, snake-looking, fish-finned, dinosaur-headed thing wearing a, like, a straw hat and riding on a tricycle. Uh, and it's, it is crazy-looking and not the friendliest-looking thing. I mean, it's got crazy, like, evil eat-you-teeth and its eyes are all soulless and no pupil. It's crazy. Anyway, the agent, uh, the man who we meet, also explains he's from the FBI. Yeah, he's uh, Agent Crockett, and he's with a very special version of the FBI, the IMP Division, which stands for Interdimensional Mental Parasites. Which is a lot of mouthful, but IMP yeah. makes sense. He explains to her that, this, that, that what she's seeing in the video is who they is who they call... Uh, Marshall Locke, uh, but his real name is Gerald Flippy Thins. <laughs> and as we move forward a little bit, we wind up learning about sort of how these quote-unquote imaginary friends work, and what they really are is interdimensional beings that feed on emotion. And at a certain age in our life, we're able, most of us are able to see them, and like so, so are people. Some people with Down syndrome. Certain certain people that have effects to their mental psyche are able to see these things, and they feed off them. Um, anyway, he makes her an offer, and then uh, leaves her to just date it over the evening. And we get a pretty crazy reveal in here. Um, so we finally get to see this miss, this Mrs. Uh, Peach, Peach Pit. Uh, yeah, and she's straight up freaking nightmare fuel, man. Like it's. It is crazy. Just, yeah, terrifying. Um, we get a little more flashback to see what actually happened when she was a child. Um, I'll leave that off the page just because, you know, it's part of the whole setup. I mean, the real hook we get at the very, very end, and the progression of the character in the first book leads us to where the rest of the story is going to move forward with this whole uh, FBI organization. Um, as far as, like, setup, it, it, being that it's a miniseries, I guess we'll see where exactly it goes. But book-wise... Yeah, as soon as you wind up running into these crazy... Like, you think the Mr. Flippy Fins looks terrifying. Well, he ain't nothing compared to the next two we see. And they're, like, straight up. Like I said, straight up nightmare fuel. Um, Art-wise, I give it... I, I mean, it, the art is great. Uh, the story is awesome. I mean, I'm a fan of Tim Seeley anyway. I have been since back in the early Hack Slash days. Uh as far as uh, Kindred to the store, I mean, he, he put a re review he did for uh, uh, Revival revival on the back of issue two. So if you have the first spring of issue two, there's a quote from our store, like the fifth one down, which I think is awesome. So as far as setup, I mean, I'm, I'm already a fan of the dude making the book. 
but sales-wise, the story seems like a perfect setup for, like, it could be a movie, it could be a TV series. As a comic book, it's awesome, though, because when we get the reveal of uh, the Peach Pit, oh my god, man, it's crazy. Uh, Score-wise, I give it a four and a half. I think it's really strong. There's a lot of interesting setups in here. I mean, it was entertaining. I'm super interested to see where it goes and how... I mean, what do you do with these things? I mean, clearly they're they're untouchable by us, we suppose. Anyhow, uh, yeah, so that's why I give it four and a half. Uh, Rob, okay. score for that book? You know, I'd, I'd agree. I'd give it a four. Uh, Tim Seeley makes some really good supernatural stories. Revival was really well done like that, and I feel like this is kind of following in that same vein. I really am interested to see where they choose to go with this particular character and how the story is going to work out. For me, it, it's a it's a really neat concept, and it leaves a lot of open rooms for things. And the stuff that we can't talk about is actually going to make this be a more complete story. So, give it a chance, check it out. Um, I think what's, what's tricky is it's hard to do a horror-esque story in a book, because you don't have the same kind of suspense that you do in a novel or in a movie. But I feel like this is a really well-done version of that. And I, I feel like um, like when we were reading um, Survivor's Club, I feel like this is like a very good continuation-like kind of horror-style movie in comic book form. So, Imaginary Fiends. Yeah, I'd give it a four. Cool. All right, uh, let's move on to Astonishing X-Men number six. All right. And there's been a lot going on in Astonishing X-Men, and this is the this is the first issue that they've got a new artist on. So, uh, but it's being written by Charles Soule, and this particular issue has Mike Del Mundo doing the art, which is is it's a little bit different from the people that have been working on it before, but it's a fantastic take. So, if uh, I don't think we've actually, like, led into this book at all, so basically what's going on is the Shadow King has Professor X's consciousness in the astral plane, and he's been putting him through games. Games that Charles knows that he has no way of winning, at least not to escape. All these games have led up to the point of Shadow King trying to find his own way back out of the astral plane, find a way into a new body, a way to defeat... Psylocke so that he can make his way back to the mortal plane. In doing so, Psylocke has chained together a group of X-Men that have been sent into the sh- to the astral plane to physically fight against the Shadow King. So it's Rogue, Mystique, Gambit, Old Man Logan, and Phantom Mask that have all been kind of trapped inside of the astral plane to kind of fight against the Shadow King while Bishop and Archangel are watching over their bodies. Well, the crazy thing about this is we haven't seen X in a minute. No, having Xavier's consciousness alive in any way is pretty crazy. Because we know he's dead dead. Because Red Skull dug him up, took a piece of his brain, was running around being a psychic. You can't get much deader than that. (laughs) Right. Um, And actually, this book and the issue previous are the first times they acknowledged that he had died and, like, how... His spirit had left, had, had carried on. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. But as as the story has un, has has raveled down, Logan has been lost, and so has Gambit, and they're acting as agents for the Shadow King in the real world, causing all kinds of problems. The soldiers outside in the real world have realized that they're losing control of the situation, and Shadow King is like spreading like a disease through civilians. And so he's planning to, they're actually planning to, like, cleanse the site with a bomb payload in the middle of the city. Of course, it's unbeknownst to the ex-heroes that are still battling in the... Astral plane? Astral plane. Yep. No idea it's happening. Now, as this story has gone, Xavier's pulled Rogue, Phantom X, and Mystique all away, um, leaving kind of a, a false trail for the Shadow King to think that he's winning the battle so that he can prepare them to fight against uh, the Shadow King with astral armor and all that. But his big thing is that he picked these guys because they're all malleable. They're all changeable. Rogue is a different person every time she touches someone. Mystique can change into whim. Phantom Mask is basically like a living lie, because he can do his suggestion things. 
And he's talked to them about why he picked them to do whatever he's going to do. But he's been having kind of a weird special conversation with Phantom Mask. And it's really digging into, like, who Phantom Mask is and kind of what he was designed to be. As the story unravels, though, we get to see a full-on battle with his chosen people against the Shadow King, and we get to see Xavier kind of raise up and break his bonds, and we, of course, have the harrowing story that's taking place outside with Logan and, and Gambit kind of attacking civilians, and Angel happened to actually become the Archangel to fight against them again. And in the last minute, of course... We have some big heroic changes that really, they're going to really change up the X universe coming out of this story. The big things that we really encounter in this, in this book is like the final confrontation between the Shadow King and Xavier and who's going to be, you know, this, this top mind in the astral plane. So yeah, I know that was like a lot of mumbo jumbo to kind of explain it, but like I'm super excited about this, and I don't want to say like what all happens. Well, the reveal at the end is really crazy. Yeah, the reveal at the end is going to change a lot of stuff. And if you're if you're paying attention to news a lot lately, you might have seen it, but this is where it happens. And bigger than that, the way that they describe Rogue, Mystique, and Phantom Mask and, and their ever changing natures was really fantastic. It was a smart, smart, smart play. Along with that, we're still kind of dealing with what Archangel really is. Because Angel and Archangel, although they share the same body, are not the same person. And that's going to always be kind of a wild card thing. For me, Astonishing is the strongest X title that's out. And, um, I, I just, I, even though this isn't like the end of this, this is just like the, the end of their first arc. I'm really, really sure that this is going to continue to be like the strongest X title moving on. So I would give it, I give it a four and a half easy. Um, if there's there's one thing that I, w- I would have liked to have seen the artist that was working on two, three, and four and five carry over into six, but the the artist that they got for this issue really did a great job of building out how the astral plane looks. Because when you get there, it's a lot of metaphor instead of a lot of fine art. And so I think it worked really well for that. I was super happy with it. It has a super big hook at the end. It's going to change a lot of stuff going forward for X-Men. If you're not sure between blue and gold, it's astonishing. <laughs> you know? I know we got red coming up soon, but I think astonishing is going to still be stronger than that even. So, well, yeah, As far as cast, I think it depends on what you like cast-wise. And it'll be interesting when we see red come out. Um, like score wise, I give it a three and a half. As far as art, the art's pretty good. It does have a, like an off color palette for what I normally like. So like, there's a lot of pastel tones, but the fight sequences are awesome. All the astral plane stuff's been really cool. Uh, whenever you see, like, gamut card stuff, like the glows and stuff are really cool, which is the coloring. I mean, that's not exactly the art, but as far as pencils and inks, the stuff's sharp. So, I mean, look is really cool. This whole reveal at the end, that it is a really big deal. And like, the way it plays out and the way it happens, we get two reveals. We get something we've never seen before, and then we also get another, like, WTF moment. And, like, a really big kind of WTF moment, because the idea of what we're dealing with in general is so crazy for for, for lots of reasons. I mean, the X thing is nuts, and Rob mentioned it a little bit, but that's a really big deal. Yeah. Especially considering how this thing wraps up at the end of this book. It's crazy. Well, yeah, and they, and they didn't play any kind of, like, curveballs with you. I mean, it takes place in the issue before this where they actually talk about him and Cyclops' final confrontation and his death. And it's kind of sad, though, because, like, Xavier starts to talk about it and, like, this is what happened to me. And one of the other people is like, no, you're an X-Men. This stuff happens. Let's go. Like, move on. But it's crazy because it has been since Avengers vs. X-Men cleared that Xavier's been out of the picture. So, super long time just to even have him show up as a spirit. I still kind of wonder, even going through this book, is this really him? Well, that's a big question, because the reveal we get at the very beginning, it's hard to say who we're dealing with. Yeah, and a lot of the things he says makes me wonder. They even actually have both... uh, the Shadow King and Xavier 
both have a unique dialogue where it's black with white letters, which is supposed to highlight a change to the voice, a unique thing that's been changed about him. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what we wind up having this whole, what the end answer this actually means, which is crazy. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so uh, we'll move on to Sleepless, uh, number one. This is from Image Comics. Uh, this artist on this is Layla Del Duca, which you should know her from Shudder and Pantheon Project, which she worked on with Eric Taylor, uh, one of our other friends over in Denver. Writer, this is Sarah Vaughn, uh, which I don't, I don't recognize Sarah's name from anything, but writing-wise, like, I like the first issue. Uh, basically, where our setup for the book is, is we're dealing with, like, uh, 15th century style time. We've got knights in armor and the whole aristocratic court and ladies in big dresses. So yeah, we're basically reaching the 15th, 15th century. And like when we first open up the book, we have the shot of a set of skull eyes, like a hollowed out skull, the eyes of it. And then uh, right beneath that is a man's eyes and he looks very tired, like eyes sunk in. And we see a whole room for of skulls, and it turns out that our, our would-be swashbuckler is standing in a room, f- like, with shelves full of skulls. Like, grave, like, French grave style, you know, like, carved out of the wall, lots of skulls. So if you see, like, any of those tomb expectations from from France or Italy... Like the catacombs, yeah. Like the catacombs, yeah, that's that's what I was looking for, yeah. the catacombs. So think uh, Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. He wanders through these catacombs for a minute, and then we come upon... A girl who is laying on top of a crypt with a uh, like a very fancy stone carving of a man with a crown. Whenever he first walks in, he says, My lady, and we hear her whispering, and the whispering tells us who she's whispering to. Uh, it turns out this happens to be the daughter of the previous king, and uh, she's on the way to the coronation of the new king. So we want to basically find out that her father's dead. Uh, we get to see her pet, which is this crazy fox-looking thing with these giant ears. It's a cool looking animal. I don't, I don't know if later on it's going to be a big deal or not, but it's an interesting looking, like, long eared fox. Yeah, I, I, I want to say that I've seen that animal before, but I don't know what it is. I don't think it's like an imaginary one. Right? Yeah, I don't. It's hard to say with. I, I don't know enough to know for sure what what the, what's going on there. Anyway, so he he basically stirs her and tells her the coronation is about to begin, and she's like, "Already? Oh well, I guess we need to hurry." And so he basically takes her to leave the room, and she says goodbye, Father, and he he bows and says, Your Majesty. So clearly he served underneath this king, and neither one of them seemed very happy about where they're going, coronation-wise. As we're walking through the catacombs, eventually he leads her to a passageway, and she tells him that she doesn't want want him to go through that passageway. He's like, well, it's the quickest way to get where we're going. And she goes, but you're the sleepless. That's where they bury the sleepless. And he's like, yeah, it's all right. this, This is the quickest way for us to get where we're going. And we need to get there. So she basically leads her through this secondary crypt. But it, this is not just bones and skulls. This is like men in full suits of armor and a whole bunch of caskets with crazy symbols on top of them. And this is very much like a much higher prestige type burial than uh, what the others got. And uh, there's, of course, a word scribed on the walls. And like one of them is, Here, here the sleepless lie, never to awake again. And as we go a little farther... We find out that him being what they call a sleepless is that they never sleep. They're protectors and guards for whoever they're guarding, and apparently whatever they've done to themselves, they do not sleep till they die. And then after that, of course, we'll have to final sleep, I guess. Anyhow, um, he and her head to the uh, head to the coronation, and we get to see who the new king is, and it's basically a big party for the most part. And not every happy, not every face in the crowd is happy, but. You know, it's the new king, so everybody has to be there to enjoy that. She uh, goes up to present uh, her uncle with a present, and it's a ring that her father used to have. And we wind up finding out, I mean, the whole setup between A and B is that she is the daughter of the king through a out-of-wedlock union. So while people are aware that she's his daughter, it's not the daughter of the queen, so, think Jon Snow in Game of Thrones, kind of. Uh, anyway, uh, her name is Pip- Pipina, um, but it seems like most people would call her Poppy. And so, it depends on who you are, because like, her uncle dresses her properly. It seems like everybody else calls her Poppy. 
So character-wise, that's who, that's who our main character is. We wind up moving forward the, through the party a little bit, and we find out that the ring that she gave the uncle is actually a ring that helps you sleep. So it's like an enchanted-type ring. And her mother wasn't super happy that she gave that away, but she's like, well, he deserves it. It's supposed to be with the king. So, anyhow, we move forward a little farther, and then, of course, we have uh, an incident that uh, I guess we got to kind of leave off as the cliffhanger. Because, uh, the cliffhanger, of course, it deals in battle a little bit, and uh, we get a... And it, we, get, we get to see our sleepless in 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 action, and uh, he's a thorough badass. So like that's really cool. Ultimately, uh, the next catch is uh, I guess both the big catches kind of come at the end. But basically, what we're leading to is mystery wrapped up in like who can you trust in the court? And anyhow, I, I got to stop there because everything else is like a giveaway. Like every other piece of it is. Anyway, setup-wise, I, I dig the book. I think the art's really great. And of course, I love Layla. I think she's awesome. Uh, covers on both of the good, the A and B cover both. Story-wise, if you like like fantasy stories, then this is for you. The art's really good. It's uh, put together really well. All the costumes look really cool. Interested to see where the next book goes. I give it a three. I mean, story-wise, I don't know if there's going to be a lot more deepness to it, but we definitely know there's magic presences. Whatever they've done to the sleepless to make them the way they are is interesting. Their life expectancy doesn't seem to be something super huge, but our guy here's been around for a minute, and he's awesome. So, anyhow, uh, yeah, I give it three. Um, I would say good times if you like anything fantasy-related. Well, uh, Mr. Rob, what do you know about that book? I'd follow suit, actually. I, re- I really liked the way that the story played out with it. It is a cool fantasy setup, and it's not really built on other fantasy stories, so it's very much its own world. Everything looks really, really well done with it, and I really enjoy like the look of the characters. The character that we highlight is the sleepless in here. Actually, kind of even represents that look because you can see he's got like kind of these baggy eyes, and he looks kind of physically tired as we go through the story. But the the take for it looks to be really cool, and I like I like a lot of what they're building on it. And they even kind of throw in a lot of metaphor with her name being Poppy, with poppy flowers popping up here and there and around the borders. And she does a good job of using the the margins to kind of tell extra parts of the story, which is cool. I, I like when artists will do that. So, But yeah, I, I'd follow suit with the three. I think I think it's really well done, and I think it's got a pretty cool shelf life, I think, going forward. Well, and like like we were both saying, it's, it's very... So if you're not a superheroes-type person, or you're tired of superheroes, this could be an answer for you, I mean, as far as books are concerned. Yeah, and it's got a lot of political kind of intrigue to it, which is which is cool. It's not just a lot of fighting. Right. It's got a little bit of intrigue. Right on. So let's see, let's move on to the Iron Fist. Yes, with its fantastic new legacy numbering of 75. Iron Fist number 75. <laughs> so, so previously, Iron Fist has actually teamed up with Sabretooth, which is crazy. Which, for those people who didn't know... Sabretooth's first appearance was actually in Iron Fist. It was. Yeah, he was the very first appearance of the character showed up in Iron Fist issue. Uh, the guys are working on this. This this book is Ed Bryson is writing it, and uh, Mike per- Perkins is doing the art. And yeah, like what I was saying, like the the first section of this book is basically the integration of Sabretooth back into Iron Fist's life, sort of. Yeah, which yeah. is a little odd. Um, but per a particular thing happening. So just a little back step. Um, previously to this, we wound up running into a character named Constrictor. And Constrictor has got his hands on the Book of the Iron Fist. And the way the Constrictor's connected is that Constrictor and Sabretooth were like pals back in the early days, prior to all the Wolverine crazy fallout and all the Sabretooth bloodlust. The two of them were basically... Yeah, they like were basically homies. They were a combo. You know, you, yeah. you would usually have the two of them together, a little bit like they did with Hyde and the King Cobra. Right, you know, right. you, you typically pop the two of them together, and they both eventually went solo, and Constrictor just fell by the way, but, you know, he, he's popped up here and there, so if you're an old enough fan that you were reading during Civil War, Constrictor was kind of a thing towards the end of that, and especially the stuff leading into Secret uh, Invasion, he was a thing in there, too. Right. Well, one of the main things to know about Constrictor is that uh, Constrictor's death. Yes. 
So this other constrictor, the main reason Sabretooth agreed to hang out is because he doesn't like somebody else playing his buddy's part. And that's his whole reason for being around, which yeah. is kind of crazy, but like sort of speaks to when Sabretooth's not rageful or like bloodlusted. I, he works on a different level, like very, uh, I don't know, almost Flash Rogues Gallery style. Because, like, whoever this guy is, he doesn't like that he's using a constrictor's suit. He doesn't like using a constrictor's name. Anyhow, when we open up this this particular issue, we're in the middle of a battle with the constrictor, Iron Fist, Sabretooth, and then the Chosen. And a whole slew of other random villain types. Um, a few with namesakes and a few that are, I think are just faces. Because we have the uh, the rat, the poison rat, the, like the rat of a thousand plagues is one mm. of them. Um, and then he's got a couple other guys with him that I, I don't remember the names, but look like Serpent Society style. Yeah, I mean, it, basically you have this big showdown between the Serpent Society and then these uh, outcasts of Kung Loon that were earlier in the Iron Fist run, which is where the Rat of Twelve Plagues comes from. And, and the Chosen. And the Chosen. Yep. Was, yeah. Chosen is basically a dude who feels like Danny shouldn't be the Iron Fist and feels like Kung Loon abandoned him. Um, so we basically get them all fighting, and the entire time, it, both sides are wanting to get a hold of this book of the Iron Fist. So the Chosen is after it, and Danny, of course, is after it. Danny, to protect it, Chosen to do, uh, who knows, with it. Uh, but we do know the Chosen is fixed on getting back to Kun Loon and taking it over. Um, so the fight goes on, and during the middle of it, of course, the Constrictor decides, man, this is too heavy for me, and he basically runs. Yeah. Um... Which does not, of course, make Danny or Sabretooth happy. Uh, and then both of them kind of go after him, but uh, someone gets there first. And uh, the Chosen winds up whooping him pretty good. And then, uh, well, yeah, beats him almost to death. Takes the book and scurries away, basically vanishes. Well, during all that fight, the rat of the, the twelve or the thousand, twelve plagues? plagues? Twelve plagues. Gets a hold of the Constrictor and poisons him. Yeah. So when Danny and Sabretooth finally get there... Sabretooth decides he's going to see who this is, and he, of course, there's a reveal there, which uh, I guess we'll, I will keep it a secret, because he does pull the mask, just yeah. so you know. And then the answer he gets of who it is doesn't necessarily make him happy, but turns his opinion slightly. Danny basically just trying to get the, to the constrictor to tell him where they went, where they've been hiding out, trying to find out what he can from him, and he gets very little. So he goes back into the room to whoop up on the rest of what's left of the Chosen's minions and the Serpent Society. Because he figures one of them's got to know where where the where the, where the chosen's hanging out, and so he proceeds to just knock heads. And Sabretooth decides to save the constrictor, which is also very odd. Yeah, I mean Sabretooth's been having a big change over the last yeah ever since several the years. whole uh, hate bomb thing happened. Yes, so ever since Axis, mm-hmm. he's had a slight, um, maybe not really good guy vibe, but. Like, anti-hero vibe. Yeah, he's definitely turned over a different leaf, but I think even bad Sabretooth may have done this. Probably, yeah. The, the explanation of why makes perfect sense. Uh, we go a little farther, and of course we catch up with the Chosen, and he's getting ready to use the book to uh, basically invade Kun Loon. How he goes about that, I'm going to leave off the page, too, because it's pretty interesting. Artifact style, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I, I think i got to stop there, because anything else is, it pretty much just spoils what's happening in the next book. Um, however, we do wind up having Sabretooth return to the fold to help Danny track the scent of the Constrictor, because Danny didn't really get any answers from everybody he whooped. Oh, for, from the Chosen. Oh, for the, yeah, the scent, yeah. Of, scent of the Chosen. Sorry, my bad. Oh, sorry. But yeah, as far as, like, the end of the particular issue, it leaves us in a very, very different place altogether. Score-wise, you know, I give it three and a half. I mean, it's pretty entertaining. Book-wise, as a standalone, I think if you were just read this one issue, it'd be confusing. I mean, there is a little bit of setup paragraph that gives you a little bit piecewise, but you have all these characters and all these name drops and all these hero villain types that are in this particular issue. And if you don't have any clue who any of them are, I think you'd be lost. So, like that alone makes this by itself not a great issue. But as part of an arc, yeah, it's the second act in a three-part, well, three or four-part arc. And it's great. I mean, like, where they leave it at is like, holy crap. So if you watch any of the, if you, if you watched and liked even part of the Iron Fist series, like, this will fit really well for you. 
And I, I think the idea of him and Sabretooth playing together is really kind of cool because the dynamic is very different from when they first started. When they first started, basically Sabretooth showed up as a villain to fight the Iron Fist. Later, he developed into a Wolverine attack kill machine, but that's not where he started. And like where he is in here is very different. Uh, but yeah, I give it a, they get three and a half, so I said. Yeah. Three and, and a half. half. Yeah, I give it a three and a half. I mean, the, the art is really gritty, but it makes sense because of the kind of story it is. I mean, we're dealing with Sabretooth and Iron Fist and lots of hand-to-hand combat, so the grit in it makes sense. Because Sabretooth is basically blood and guts. And even in this, he still kind of is. The grit to it makes sense and fits the story. Is what I was trying to say, I think. Yeah. So I feel like the art... I, I'd agree with that. Okay. Yeah. If that made sense for what I was saying. Yeah. Anyway, um, Rob, so you score for that book? Alright, so, I mean, it's no no surprise that I'm an Iron Fist fan. I think I've thrown that up a bunch, but I I give it a solid three. I thought this issue was really well done. It's not a great starting point, just like you said, even last issue, because of the introduction of the Chosen and everything, but I do think I do think it's an exciting story, and where it ends makes me want to go to the next one. I like that they've continued to have him do regular Kung Fu moves and not just going, oh, they... The fist will solve fist everything. Punch. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even with Sabretooth, they, they don't just have him, you know, mopping the floor with everybody. And, you know, honestly, the Serpent Society can be a handful. So I thought it played out really well. I think the only thing that I would con- complain about is that it felt like Danny had a lot less compassion than I would expect him to. But that's just kind of a... They, they needed to kind of have him step away so that Sabretooth could have his moment. But yeah, I, I'd give it a three. I, I I enjoyed the issue. I thought it was building to something really neat, and the end stuff is actually a pretty cool twist, and it calls back to uh, stuff that we saw in the earlier Brubaker run, I believe, for the Book of the Iron Fist, and then kind of some of the lineage of what the Iron Fist is. And so, I don't know, I... Like, those parts, at least, you know, kind of make me excited for where we're going to go next, because we know that that whole Marvel Legacy book had some Iron Fist stuff to it, oh, too. Oh, yeah, well, it starts out with, during the, yeah, there's definitely one of them in the first group of Avenger mm-hmm. types. So, so yeah, as far as Pass Down's concerned, I mean, yeah, this, and the whole return to Kun Loon in the first place is all part of that, too. Yeah, I imagine. So, yeah, it has a lot of lot of good implications, so I, I was pretty excited with it. Like where it was going. Right on. Alright, uh, you want to move on to Doomsday Clock? Yes. Yeah, this is definitely the, the big one. Because, I mean, this is what the, the whole rebirth thing is supposed to be being balanced out with. So, and it's going to be a long series. It's going to be a 12 part. So, yeah. I mean. So it's around 12 parts, 12, is- 12, 12 issues once a month. So it runs a better part of a year. Yeah. And I, I don't think this is even actually the, the final answer, because I think this is going to be a year, and I think there's going to be maybe even one more year of Rebirth stuff. But I don't know that for sure. Because I know he was trying to do, like, a three-year plan or four-year plan or something. Yeah, that's you, crazy. You, I, yeah, I didn't realize it was planning to go that far. I thought ever since they started the first issue, the DC Universe Rebirth, if you read that, at least part of the questions from there, this should deal with. Yeah. So this might be where... They were they were ultimately heading with all the rebirth change arounds, right? And we we have seen I guess that is kind of common news we should have mentioned earlier. The DC uh, moniker has changed, oh, so the logo has either a the DC and then universe underneath it, or the DC and then comics. Uh, best we can tell right now, it seems that the pieces that say universe are within continuity, and the pieces that say comics are outside of continuity. So like your uh, Gotham City Garage and your, uh, uh, well, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, I think is already done. I, it, the issues haven't all come out, but the printing on them, I doubt we'll see that one change. So it just has the regular DC logo. But the new ones that came out this, this week that have had the moniker shift, everything is outside the normal continuity, just says DC Comics instead. Huh. So, yeah, interesting. I, I guess we'll see if that winds up being the truth. But yeah, the DC Universe appears to be the ones that connect inside the universe. Okay. That's hey, that's interesting because I I saw the change but I didn't yeah, I didn't see the ramifications without without looking through every single one of them and trying to pay attention to which book was which it's something that at this point I believe we'll see it has nothing to do with Doomsday right, Clock whatsoever this particular book. all right take that the news <laughs> <laughs> where was Ross when you needed him no 
stuff, doing college stuff. I guess that's good. <laughs> All right, so uh, we, we've, of course, got writer Jeff Jones. And then doing the artwork for it, we have Gary Franks, which is a pretty darn good team for what they're doing here. So it's important to know that this book is not taking place at the same time we are right now. We're catching up with the Watchmen world in 1992. It opens to wide-scale riots and civil unorder, people rioting in the street, breaking windows, fighting against the cops. We're seeing the control of news being shut down from multiple organizations to one singular voice that'll tell you what the news is. And what we find out is that those people who've read Watchmen know that the very tail end is that the guy at Frontier got Rorschach's journal. He got it in the crank file and decided to print it as a lark. And actually wound up basically uh, revealing the truth of Veidt's whole plan. So we also find out, of course, everybody's missing. Rorschach is gone. Night Owl's gone. Silk Spectre's disappeared. John's left Earth. Veidt is missing. And then the for fight is uh, Osmondeus. So, and there's this huge manhunt looking for Osmondeus. And as they kind of break into his facilities, including the one out in the Arctic, we see some interesting clues as to what's going on with with uh, Osmondeus. But they won't be revealed until later in the book. And what their significance is will definitely play out throughout the rest of the series. What we're finding out is that the Doomsday Clock, it's already hit one. Russia is getting ready to fire its missiles. It's invading Poland. America set a deadline that if they don't get out, they're going to launch all of their missiles. Everybody who's in a area that they think is a significant bomb territory is trying to clear out of cities. And that's where we catch up with uh, a guy trying to get out of a cell. He looks an awful lot like... Uh, Stand to dial. I don't know if that's an accident or not, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> it does kind of look like him. Right? It does look a little bit like him. <laughs> now as you say that, it does look like him a little bit. And he's trying, to, he's trying to get the keys to get out of the prison. And we wind up having the guard get taken out. And the guy uh, who grabs the keys is none other than Rorschach. And, of course, the guy who's asking for the keys is like, Oh, no, man, it's okay. I don't, I don't want him anymore. We follow Rorschach as he makes his way through this prison, and we kind of see that his mind is a little muddled, which is a bit like the Rorschach that, that we knew from Watchmen. He, he remembers things backwards. Like, he's coming up to a cell, and it's cell 13, and he remembers, oh, no, it's not 13, it's 31. Got to find this person. He winds up actually collecting uh, these two people that are kind of in a max security. So he opens the cell to collect... A lady named Erica Manson, who is going by the name the Marionette. And she's freaking out because the last time she encountered Rorschach, he told her he was going to drop her down an, ele uh, an elevator shaft. And so before he can even really start freaking talking awesome. to her... Freaking <laughs> awesome. Just freaking awesome. Before he can really start talking to her, he has to... He, he kind of tells her that he's, that he's not the same. That he's different. And she's like, we have to prove it. And he takes his glove off and kind of shows her enough evidence that she realizes it's not the same man, maybe. It's enough to get her to at least listen to what he has to say without thinking he's going to kill her. And he uh, he provides this, uh, this dossier to her, basically, which in classic Rorschach fashion is like a bent-up envelope with blood and maybe some syrup on it. <laughs> Uh, he basically is trying to blackmail her into helping him. And he makes it very clear that they're on a timer. That they've got three, three hours and maybe a few minutes to find God. And in exchange, they'll help her find their, their baby or her baby. Yeah, he said he'd deliver him to, to, uh, to a child. And he like has a full, like a picture of the kid and everything. So, like, as far as, like, how he knows that or where he's found that, well, it's Rorschach, so he does whatever. Yeah. She refuses to leave without getting her husband. And, of course, he doesn't want that. But 
He needs her. And since he's only got three hours, there's no time to really argue the point. To find out over it. And so we go to collect her husband, who is another kind of criminal, uh, who goes by the name of, uh, of the mime. And we kind of get introduced to him in a very spectacular fashion. And we see that, uh, he's not quite playing with a full deck, whether, whether he is or isn't, it's, it's hard to say, but, you know, he, he has to collect his imaginary gear before he leaves the, uh, the prison. Oh yeah, is... he straight makes it a thing to go correct his imaginary guns. Yeah. The whole time that we go through this, we're learning that Rorschach is working for somebody, and that his goals are greater than just taking out the trash. And it's pretty interesting that even though they make a lot of mentions that this is not Rorschach, that he really seems to be Rorschach. So whoever he is, if he's not him, he's very similar. And of course, they do reveal who's the boss behind this, but we're going to go ahead and keep that in tow for right now. Right. You probably could, you know, you might make a good educated guess, but the big dire thing is finding God to help uh, save this world, this world that knew that Vite's plan was a lie, and now is coming apart at the seams. And they're thinking that they really have just this three-hour window before the world is just a nuclear cinder. And so we spend all this time over in the Watchmen universe, and the very tail end of the book, we jump over to the New 52 universe, or the, the DC universe, I should say, DC proper, maybe. I don't know if they actually coined a name for this Earth or not, but... You know, I, I don't know if the Watchmen universe is supposed to be real Earth or what it's supposed to be. I'm not sure. But yeah, we, we pop over to the the Rebirth uh, DC universe. And we wind up having kind of this very interesting moment with Superman, where he, uh, he faces something that he's never had to face before. So whatever is happening in the Watchmen world... It's not the same world that DC is in, but it's going to affect our world somehow. I'm sorry, that's very mysterious, but uh, it's worth reading, so get into it. Uh, and then there's actually even a couple of like kind of fun little add-ins at the very end because we have the newspaper relief where they they catch up with what happened at the very end of Watchmen. And then they actually have a couple of different documents talking about the different kind of troubles that the world is coming into, and um, they have the the psych review of Rorschach in the back, and then like a, a, a menu from a place that Rorschach went to in the book. <laughs> so it's kind of a neat little setup for it. And um, of course they have a bunch of pitches for books that are coming, but they also had a memorial page for Lin Wein. This one lives up to the hype, I think. So I would give it a four and a half. I enjoyed it. The style of the book is very much in the style of The Watchmen. So you have loads of tight panels that are kind of jumping in together, where you're having almost like a cinematic experience where it's just bang, 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 panel, 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 panel. Um, which is something that was really well done in the, the Watchmen graphic novel. And so once again, they decide to use that in this while we're in the, the Watchmen universe. And I think everything is approached really well. Everybody feels like the characters are supposed to be. Four out of five, it feels like it's got off to a really dynamite start. You know, I mean, sometimes when you have a 12-part series, the first issue eh, spends a lot of time touching bases. This doesn't. This feels like it's ready to go right out the gate. At least to me. Well, man, like, like you said, the art's great. The story is good. It's interesting. Like, and just to see the return of the Watchmen world and, like, how things have unfolded is pretty interesting. The This whole mystery with Rorschach is crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, what we get at the end with what little bit we get from Superman, hell interesting, too. Yeah. And, like, it, how that lines up with the rest of the universe is also interesting. Yeah. So, like, a lot of little pieces in here that are, like, holy crap. Like, it's awesome. I don't know, I give it a four. I mean, book-wise, it's really good. Like, it's, as far as, like, an issue, yeah, you need to kind of know a couple of players from the Watchmen. You need to know all of them? Uh, you know, there's only, like, the five, so as long as you're aware that they're a thing, I think you'd be okay. I mean, 
Yeah, it would help a little bit if you'd read the book, but if you've seen the movie, I guess you'd be okay. Have a basic concept of the characters, then you should be alright. But yeah, book-wise, it's pretty interesting, and like the stuff with Superman was great. So, yeah. I, the big difference between the book and the movie is, is of course, that that fairy tale end. Right. You know, the movie, it's Manhattan. The book, it's crazy it's, giant it's, space squid. It's a space squid. Yeah. Um, which makes more sense than it might sound, but you know, they did they do reference that, of course, in this book. But I, I think you're right. I mean, the 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 hype for you could come into this just out out of the blue, like this could be the first book you pick up. I don't think so. I think you do need to read Watchmen or at least see the film. But it doesn't seem terribly unapproachable to me. So Right. Right on. Um is there anything else, Rob? No, I don't I think that, that pretty much covers it, aside from that, you know, there was a super slick lenticular cover on this thing. Oh right. Yeah, cover-wise, yeah, I mean, they, we have the lenticular cover, which has the Rorschach mask that changes, which is freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, there was a midnight release uh, variant that was Gary Frank's Superman cover, so it's like Superman with basically Dr. Manhattan's watch parts floating around him. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a color version of that as well. The color version was the normal variant, and there's just the normal cover, uh, which is basically a crowd with a guy holding a sign in the middle of the crowd, so very Watchmen-esque, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, the lenticular cover was freaking awesome. Like it really cool and worked really good as far as like movement. Um but yeah, as far as presentation, it 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 held up real well. It's, it's a pretty good yeah. pretty good put together book. Well I'm not gonna lie, like when I saw that Jeff Johns release thing, I was kinda like Really? Seems like you're tooting your heart a little hard, but I don't know. I feel like it lives up to it so far. Yeah, it was pretty good. So we'll so we'll see. Now, ultimately, we have a year to get to the end of it, so that's true. hopefully we don't get to the end of the year and it's the answer to Swamp Thing, because if that's the case, <laughs> someone's going to slap Jeff Johns. You'll never guess again. Swamp Thing! Yeah. Somebody's going to slap the boy in his mouth What did they just that. do a miniseries for? Ragman? Ragman. He's the answer. But he's not being written with Jeff Johns, right? No, but that's fine. <laughs> all right. All right. I took on the demon. He's got a miniseries happening right now, too. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Ragman, Etrigan. There's supposed to be a uh, Swamp Thing. Ah, man, who's... Somebody's, I was just talking to somebody about it yesterday. I can't remember who's supposed to be. Some. It's a big name that's writing it. And, and I feel like the artist was a name, too, but I can't remember who it was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Rob, what would you learn today? I learned that it's less scary that Rorschach wants to throw somebody down an elevator shaft and more funny. <laughs> to me, it definitely is funny. That's uh, true. Uh, what I learned today, Rob? Uh, what you learned today was that Rorschach can see perfectly out of his mask, but he doesn't smell. So he can just live in an ashtray-filled car with food everywhere, and it, it, it doesn't bother him. <laughs> Garbage bin R.S. That's masked good for two things. Yeah, actually, you know, it, it almost makes sense. They used to complain about his smell a lot in the old Warsh- or the uh, Watchmen series that he couldn't smell. Well, his class made a very particular special kind of material, so... That's true. Block stench from himself. That's him. That's half half of his fear is his stench. Very good. (laughs) All right. Um, You got some books to watch, Rob? Uh, Well, Doomsday Clock that we're going to be going through. I think it's going to be a really, really well-done book. Um, Even though I was kind of making a jab, uh, X-Men Red is going to be coming out before long, and I think that's going to be really good if you're an X-Fan. Astonishing X-Men has been super solid. Iron Fist has actually really been well done so far. They just got a new team on Justice League, which I think is going to be pretty good. And then Imaginary Fiends, I think, is actually something to keep an eye on. I think it's going to be a really good one. It's said they're going to be wrapping up Guardians of the Galaxy soon, even though they're connecting it to the Nova group, which maybe maybe those things are connected. I don't know. But um, we, we are going to be seeing a Adam Warlock book. Yeah, we're doing a return of Adam Warlock. And I think that might be something to look forward to if you're in, in the Marvel side of things. I think the first kick of it is actually the last issue of the all-new Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I believe so, too. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where that winds up going, considering what we have having with the movies and everything else. Oh, uh, there's also the Amazing Spider-Man Venom, Inc., book that just came out. Yeah, it just started this week. Which looks really, really solid. Alright, uh, we'll see. I'll give you uh, Return of Phoenix, uh, the five-part miniseries for the Jean Grey return. Yeah. 
Uh, or the Phoenix Return. And, and before you go, oh, she's just been back a thousand times. Oh my gosh. Just Wikipedia, Phoenix. Because you might be surprised with how awesome that story is instead of how pedestrian that people try to make it sound like it is. Now, the amount of times she's actually died and come back are not nearly the amount of the people no. think that it is. And plus, if you're, if you're at the right shop, you can actually get a true believer, enter the Phoenix for $1, which is the first appearance of Phoenix in Marvel, which is actually an amazing read, so. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So that guy, in issue one for that's gonna have a lenticular cover as well. Oh, okay. So that's pretty cool. Like, Batman Middle is still really strong. I think that's awesome. We're going to have a batch of new books coming out from uh, DC after the end of Metal. We're supposed to be getting a whole bunch, like six or seven new titles. One of those is going to be Damage, which I'm interested to see that simply because Tony Daniels is connected to the creation of the the character. Okay. And like he's he's an awesome artist. And the way I understand it, Damage is kind of like the Hulk, but uh, it lasts for about an hour and he's not in control at all. So it'll be interesting to see what that winds up actually being. So I think the first arc for him is basically the Suicide Squad trying to capture him. Hmm. So I think that'll be... I, th- I think that'll be kind of cool, but I, it's mostly because I dig Tony Daniels, I guess. And I like the way the character's drawn up, so I guess we'll see if it's any good. And that group of them isn't uh, also, like, Mr. Terrific and... Yeah, they're going to have the Terrifics as a team. And Terrifics is going to have Mr. Terrific, Plastic Man, Metamorpho... And then, uh, like, Saturn Girl, and there's a couple other characters that we... No, not Saturn Girl, Phantom Girl. Okay. Phantom Girl, I'm sorry. I'm confusing my uh, Legion. Uh, Legion of, yeah, Legion of Superhero Characters. I I was like, wait a minute. Well, she's around. That's awesome. But they haven't really used her for anything. I mean, she shows up in DC Rebirth. Phantom Girl? Yeah. Or Saturn Girl? Saturn Girl. Huh. Isn't she the blonde? Yeah. From Saturn? Psychic powers? From the future? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. She's in the... F- oh, that's right. They, they do She's in her. prison. But I didn't think she was back in time, was she? She's in modern time. Oh, my gosh. It's been long enough I forgot the, all about it. Last time we saw her, she was in Arkham Asylum. Oh, Predi- something, predicting, something confirmed. Dang it. <laughs> she was predicting the outcome of, of a particular hockey game that was going to send uh, death and destruction. That's right. So we haven't really seen her since then that I'm aware of. <laughs> Well, Phantom Girl is also a Legionnaire. She is. So. So there's more Legionnaires showing up. Phantom Girl is the one with the black hair. Saturn Girl is the one with the blonde hair. Anyhow, uh, and their powers are very different. Yes. Besides that. Anyway, um, so yeah, I don't know. The Trifix, I think, will be cool. I mean, Plastic Man, uh, take or leave him, but he's obviously going to be some kind of big part of Metal if you read Metal 3. Alright, I've got two more that I give you. Um, I'd say Witchblade, the new Witchblade series. Uh, number one came out the same week. Uh, Art it's, I, I like. The story is interesting. I don't think we're going to see a return of, of Sarah Pizzini if you're a fan of the previous series. But I, it, it definitely fits in a way that it could happen. So far, at least issue one doesn't get there um, for Sarah. But the new character, she's awesome. The art's great. So it, it was neat. Uh, then we're going to have a return of Rumble, so in Rumble number one. Uh, this is the second volume of the series. Uh, if you didn't read the first volume, there's two trades. Um, story-wise, issue one for the new series isn't out yet, so I don't know if there'll be any kind of catch-up for people or not. Um, but the first volume was great, so... Yeah, Rumble was a kind of surprise, kind of sleeper hit, I would say. Yeah, I want to say a popular came to it after it was out. Yeah, because I mean, it looks... it has a really cool look. But I think it took a minute to sell in people's minds, but it's it's pretty cool. Right. Well, um, I think that's it, Rob. Yeah. Um, Birthright is always good. Oh, yeah. Uh, Black Science is still also, also really, really good. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I guess. As current stories for Superman. Really yeah. You know, surprisingly enough, there's, there's been a lot of stuff going on with Soup, so if you've been keeping away because you're like, oh, it's the same old, same old, well, it's not been. It's not been for a while, actually. So, worth checking out. Heck yeah. Super Sun's Annual, if you're a pet lover, will blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, it is full of uh, crypto and ace and... Yeah. 
Lots of pets. Well, it's got the parrot, too, and I can't remember the parrot's name. Oh, it's, oh, it's got Titus in there, oh, too. It's plastic. So Ace, Titus, and Crypto, Streaky. Streaky. Yeah. Bat Cow, because why yeah. not? Well, you know. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's pretty ridiculous. So, a fun, fun story for, for the pets. The super pets. Right on. All right, uh, Tiki. Tiki! Tiki! Walk us, uh, walk us out of the number. Oh, 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 oh